Hey Star Wars fans, welcome to another episode of the Jedi Council podcast. For those of you that have found us for the first time, thank you very much for taking a listen. For those of you returning along for the ride, welcome back. We hope to keep you entertained for another hour, hour and a half of everything and anything that is Star Wars. I am your host Alex and it's good to have you guys with us. We've got a packed agenda and a packed house for you guys today as well. Uh, alongside me is my good buddy, my brother in the force, Dave. Say hello Dave. Hello, Dave. Hey, welcome back. It's good to have you on the call again. <laughs> Nailed it. Again, two weeks in a row. We're doing well. Uh, and alongside we us today, we have the returning uh, co-host from previous podcast, Mr. Alistair Clark. Say hello, Ali. Hello, Ali. Are you doing it as well? <laughs> good stuff. Um, and we've got a special treat, a special returning guest uh, for the podcast today. We have the wonderful, the, the great addition to the uh, Jedi Council uh, extended family, Miss Mera Ranger. Thank you very much for joining, Mera. Say hello, Mera. Hello, Mera. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. It must be uh, good to kind of get back on the show. We must be doing something right to get you back again. Absolutely. You're all wonderful. Oh, Oof. stop it. I'm blushing. <laughs> Uh, no, so guys, we've got uh, an absolutely packed agenda for you today. This is actually the fourth time that we've tried to record this due to a couple of technical glitches, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, maybe especially this, an outtake podcast might be coming your way uh, if you're lucky. Uh, but today we've got quite an agenda. We're going to run through some of the news that's come out this week uh, in and around the Star Wars world. Ali's obviously returning and he had a couple of Star Wars adventures uh, on the in the west coast uh, of the U.S., and then we have our topic of the week. This week, in conjunction with the fact that the solo uh, movie premiered in the US, which is going to be part of our, our news uh, topic this week, we're going to start to take a quick look at some of the ships that make up the Star Wars universe. To kind of narrow it down a little bit, we're going to pay attention for the most part for the original era. Uh, so that would be encompassing of the original trilogy. But because of that time of, of the Star Wars universe that it is, we're going to be drafting in everything from maybe Rogue One and even the Solo uh, film that's coming up pretty shortly as well. So to kick off the podcast, I just want to revisit a topic that we've discussed for the past couple of weeks, and that is Avengers Infinity War. Uh, we know that the film is steamrolling uh, and kind of manipulating and taking over the box office as much as it can. It's currently sitting at $1.6 million dollars globally uh billion dollars god thank you very much they billion dollars globally um which is creeping and creeping closer and closer to uh the force awakens force awakens kind of wrapped up at two just under 2.1 billion dollars uh globally and obviously avengers is at 1.6 already and it's only been out for three weeks um Plus, the stats haven't even come in for China yet, and that obviously just got released on Friday. So I can see this film steamrolling ahead. And the reason why I'm bringing it up again is because I fear it's going to take over The Force Awakens as the biggest uh, kind of Marvel Disney movie, as it were. I actually probably think it might even take over Titanic. Uh, Dave, you took your, you t you've seen it as well, obviously, but you took your boy recently. Uh, how did he find the film? Really enjoyed it. Um, just the fact that. Very strong characters, characters that we've, over the last 10 years, come to love. And they've all now come together in this one superhero movie. There's a lot. It's very, it's a busy movie. I'll give you that. It's a very busy movie. Um, but no, no, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was a great movie. Um, Mera, have you had a chance to see the movie yet? I have, yes. Oh, what do you think? I'm ready for part two. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is a great response, and I think you are definitely speaking on behalf of everyone that's seen the film. They want the next bit. Uh, I know I do in particular. Uh, and, and Ali, you've seen it as well, right? Yeah, I didn't like it as much as you guys. Not at all. Um, uh, get out. <laughs> uh, what? What? How come? Don't tell me, Do not tell me you enjoyed the Last Jedi more. I did. I did enjoy the Last Jedi more, and I came out of it a lot more excited and happy than I did after watching that film. Um, no, I felt like, no. I felt like, <laughs> I, I, it's almost like a Vader moment where I'm just stood there with my my fist clenched, going, "No!" <laughs> I listened to your last podcast, and I believe your son enjoyed the last film after watching it. So. You know, it takes all all different points of view. So my youngest is coming round. He's he's slowly disliking the Last Jedi. <laughs> Just because you've been telling him in many ways how to dislike it. Is that right? <laughs> it's it's more a case of you know, Dad. I'm I'm thinking. I I, I agree with that. I, that wasn't really well done. That was it, Dad. No, no, no. And and I didn't really like this, really, Dad. <laughs> wow! Yeah, you, you're brainwashing, of course. Um, uh, so I think the film fell very much into the Star Wars Into Darkness trap, and I think when people go back and look at it, it's it's as Dave said, it's action, 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 without stopping to think why something happened. So, for example, Captain America's just hanging around in Edinburgh in case something happens, is he? <laughs> when when she's been hiding their relationship for how many years? Didn't Captain Marvel's been there the whole time? Didn't turn up in Age of Ultron. A guy can now end everything with one click. Well, if anyone comes at it again, then he can just do another click and end all the rest of them. It's, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. There is so much wrong with that film. If, if it had ended, right, seriously, if it had ended with Thanos getting all the Infinity Jewels at that point where there would have still been, oh my gosh, what happens next? I'd have said that was in my top three Marvel films. But the ending was so hollow, and it wiped out all hope, and it wiped out, like, oh, great, so they're definitely bringing this character back, they're definitely going to do that, because we know what the agenda is, because we've already seen it, and they're not just going to say goodbye to the Black Panther franchise, which has just made all that money. It's just, it was so, oh, they just didn't have to do it that way. And it really infuriated me, and it was a complete lack of hope, which really, really annoyed me. Amazing. Everything that you have just said is wrong. (laughs) I had to get a last year I quote in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Marvel, right? Um, for those but of us... I'm not going to go watch it again. I'm doing a day. I've seen it three times, and it keeps getting better every time. I've seen it, yeah, yeah, three times, yeah. Every time I watch it, it keeps getting better. And to your point around the fact that there's no hope, it, I, I might get shot down in a blaze of glory for saying this. It's Marvel's equivalent of Empire Strikes Back. At the end of Empire Strikes Back, all hope is lost. Han is in Carbonite. You know, the the, the rebels are at twos and throws. They're, they're not entirely sure what's going on. Everything is bleak. It looks like the Empire have won, hence the name of the film Empire Strikes Back, right? But ultimately, we know that in Return of the Jedi, all things kind of change and hope is back again and everything gets better and you know we all know what happened spoiler alert Darth Vader dies so does the Emperor um, but nevertheless they, they killed off every <coughs> phase two character to bring back the originals and they killed off the actual good part of it which was the Guardians of the Galaxy characters it's just like what come on there's only Rocket left <laughs> it's just like well, why did you, what was the point of all those films to do that you're, you're missing okay okay, we, we, okay without, without ruining maybe part two 
refute. Okay, from from the comic book perspective, it's not too dissimilar to what happens in the comics. To be fair, but did they just the Thanos and Death part of the comic books? Because well, that's it, it, the it, people that it, I know that's in it. He does get the gems, and he does end half the, the galaxy, yeah. half the universe. Just the infinity. And, 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 yeah. But but it's not necessarily the end. I would say it like that. It's like Spider Man. Fair enough. Spoiler alert for anybody. Spider Man might not have the best ending of this movie, but it doesn't mean he's gone for good. That's all I would say. The way that, again, spoiler, we might have to put some like uh, spoiler warnings in the show notes when we put this on, on iTunes and SoundCloud, but the way Spider-Man dies is the most emotional scene in that film. Um, even though there's a sequel to your point, Ellie, the way that he died was quite heartbreaking, let's be honest. you know, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. It's like, oh my God, no, please don't tell me it's him. But the thing that I know is that being a reader of the Marvel comics, um, there are multiple versions of the characters. So just because one's there doesn't mean they're not going to bring it back, but it could be somebody else. Like we know that in the Spider-Man world, you have Miles Morales, who is the new Spider-Man. Um, yeah. Yet his cousin is actually in Homecoming. Um, ironically, <laughs> Donald Glover, who is in Homecoming, plays Miles Morales' cousin. Um, and so we know that he's in that same universe. So therefore, yeah, just because Peter Parker's there doesn't mean Spider-Man can't live. So the, the sequel movie might not be Peter Parker. It could be Miles Morales. And I think Marvel have done that really well because they're leaving that really open-ended because everybody thinks they know where everything's going to go. Yeah, there's a Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah, there's a Spider-Man 2. Yeah, we think there's going to be, be a Black Panther 2. But ultimately, they could be made up of different things. The original Guardians of the Galaxy aren't the bunch that we know today. They are... A, a different version from the original version of the Guardians. They could just go back to the originals from like the sixties. Um, There's no way they're going to have Chris Pratt back. There is no way. Do you know what I mean? It, and, and the other thing is, is if you actually go back and watch like Avengers Assemble, which I did afterwards, the way that the character, someone like Black Widow, is a kick-ass character who is just completely sidelined in the new film. And if you look at the way that they killed off Loki. He's such a great character, and to end it that way, I thought was just disrespectful to the character they created. Loki's death was a need. I think I, I under, totally under. Guys, welcome to the Affinity War Avengers podcast. By the way, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think we should perhaps kind of park this conversation uh, and maybe move on to Star Wars because I think we might end, end up losing some listeners. <laughs> However, I, I do want to pick up on very something that you also mentioned, Ali, before we jump into the news. How do you not like Rogue One? <laughs> um, again, I, I know at least 10 people who think it's by far the worst Star Wars film. Oh. It's, it's, it's very boring. After about half an hour, you drop off. <laughs> oh, I want oh. to find the mute button and put you on mute for saying that. Well, just well, this is this is your problem if you're not prepared to listen to all points of view, Alex. I mean, to be honest, I both <laughs> Disney and Star Wars as well. Uh, someone oh back. my god! Open rebellion on the podcast, <laughs> Dave. Why yeah. did we why did we bring him into the fold again? Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> because you like hearing different points of view, like your audience has. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that that's cool. Like, I think we do need to have a separate podcast on your beef with Rogue One. 
just to, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when we first started talking about The Last Jedi, you were quite heavily supportive of the movie, but, you know, I know your opinion has changed a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to make it my mission to do the same for Rogue One. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You've got more chance of me liking the Avengers more than that one. Oh, mate, that will oh come. Don't worry about God. it. That will come, come as well. Don't you worry. Uh, so, again, we've kind of veered massively left of centre. <laughs> Welcome to uh, a normal podcast uh, for the Jedi Council, uh, <clears throat> to all of our listeners. And, Mary, you've been patiently listening to us kind of ramble there. So thank you very much for joining us for a Star Wars podcast. Yet yeah, we really haven't discussed Star Wars. Uh, so... <laughs> So, Not at all. <laughs> back to our uh, regular programming. Uh, we have got uh, some news this week. Obviously, this week was the premiere of uh, of the solo movie, and it looked absolutely epic. Um, big shout out to uh, Red Eye Jedi uh, on our Twitter feed, Justin Ward, for his pictures from uh, from downtown Hollywood. Uh, he, he's very fortunate enough that he works in that area and was sending through and at mentioning us with some awesome pictures of the way they built out this. Millennium Falcon kind of on the red carpet. Um, the way that they kind of dressed up uh, the theatre that they were showing the movie in looked absolutely amazing. Uh, and the amount of people that kind of went there as well from the original trilogy. Uh, I saw a wonderful picture of Billy D. Williams uh, and Donald Glover standing side by side, both wearing red uh, as well. I don't know if they've kind of coordinated that, but it looked absolutely brilliant having the new Lando, the old Lando. Um, I even heard a story of Han Solo having a conversation with Alden Ehrenreich about his portrayal of, of, of Solo as well. So I think, you know, it's good to see the old and the new kind of coming together for this particular film. Um, <clears throat> and I think some of the feedback that we have seen uh, about the movie as well has been incredibly positive. Uh, really good feedback at the moment. And Dave, there's something that you wanted to call out about the feedback, wasn't there, about this particular film? Yes. Um... I was watching the feedback straight away as soon as I saw it start to pop up. Um, and overall, it has been very positive. Um, but dare I say it, the feedback for The Last Jedi that came from the critics, the people who, who were paid for their opinion of movies, was overwhelmingly, ridiculously high. Um, I don't think I saw one negative review for The Last Jedi. Um, from the paid-for critics, which, when you think of the fans' reaction to The Last Jedi, I know a lot of fans liked it, I, I, I get that, but uh, I would say that just as many fans didn't like it as did, um, and were perhaps a little bit more vocal. Um, and it, even now, it still splits opinion. So, to have... 100% feedback from the critics for The Last Jedi. Um, and now to start to see exactly the same type of feedback initially for Solo was a little bit concerning for me. It was a case of, are these critics who actually have an opinion or are these critics just ones who are panning towards the, the Disney machine? And and that was, that was part of my worry. Mm. Um, but then I started to see other... Um, points of view starting to pop up from the critics, which was good. I wouldn't say anyone has slated the movie. Um, they've all been positive, but they've been positive to varying degrees. Some people have, have walked away, just, it is the greatest thing, it's amazing, it ticks all the boxes. There's been a few of them. But then there's, there's been more tempered responses as well. Um, 
where there's there's been comments about the fact that Lando really steals the movie, um, and Chewie is obviously Chewie, but the um, Han himself isn't perhaps as as good. So I quite like the fact that the 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 reviews that we're now seeing for this movie are not a hundred percent gushing praise for the movie. They're a little bit more, they, they feel more real than The Last Jedi's reviews, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And I think you're right, you know. I mean, <clears throat> The Last Jedi, when it came out, everyone was saying it's a, a, an amazing film. And, you know, to, to Ali's point earlier on, you know, you do have conflicting discussion around a, a film. People will like it, people won't like it. Uh, but I think the way that The, the Last Jedi's kind of panned out, both from a commercial perspective but also from a um toy stroke collectible stroke other commercial perspective not just kind of box office it hasn't been that much of a massive success and you know if you hop back to the uh, to the podcast that we first did a couple of weeks ago where ali and i visited uh, forbidden planet um uh, in in london which is like the massive kind of pop culture geek store there was hardly anything that was last jedi related uh, and even when I was recently in Disney World, there was nothing very much Last Jedi related. There was a lot about Galaxy's Edge, the new land that Disney are building. Um, and I think that's kind of where the focus is. And, you know, The Last Jedi hasn't been as popular in that respect. So I think that maybe they're, they've kind of learned their lesson not to be as gushing. Um, I'm, well, I'm not- I'll, I'll just say one, one thing that I have, sorry to interrupt, one thing I have noticed quite often when the large big blockbuster movies hit the, the, the DVD and Blu-ray sales, you will have the studios announcing the numbers and there'll, there'll be a lots in, in the first week and maybe the first fortnight, mm. you'll see lots of numbers coming out of, wow, this, this movie is just, just pre-orders have been through the roof and takings for the first week has just been amazing. I've not seen that for the first uh, for the Last Jedi. I've, I've not seen any official numbers for The Last Jedi. Just normally the studios are shouting about it. Well, funnily enough, I have some to hand. <laughs> um, uh-huh. so the, the Last Jedi took $1.3 billion globally uh, in total. <clears throat> so that's, even now, that's like 300 million less than Avengers. Um, it's 10 million less than Black Panther, uh, just to kind of put it into context. If you think of a cinematic run of how many weeks and months a film is in a cinema, the Black Panther is still in cinema, uh, obviously. But yeah, so it took just under 700 million in the, in the US and took just under 650 million overseas, which the overseas number um, is, is mad. Um, Actually, no, sorry, that was the Black Panther figures. Let me go down the line. The Last Jedi took $620 million domestically, and then internationally it only took $712 million. So when you look at it from a domestic perspective, it's really, really low. When you, I don't want to compare it to The Force Awakens because that was just a monumentous occasion for, for Star Wars in that, you know, domestically it's the highest grossing domestic in the US of $900 million. Um, so it's still short of that. Uh, but nevertheless, when you start to compare it to other other Star Wars films like Rogue One, Rogue One took $530 million in the US. 
Now, Rogue One was deemed not as much as a success as Force Awakens, rightly so, but nobody expected it to kind of challenge The Last Jedi for its commercial success the way it has done. So, you know, the way The Last Jedi has performed is clearly underperforming, as it were. It only took 700 million internationally. Yet, when you, again, I'm going to compare it to Avengers because it's the next biggest box office film. That's taken over a billion dollars internationally already, and it's only three weeks old. So, yeah, the, the whole Last Jedi thing, maybe you're right, Dave, the way that they're going to approach Solo is to be slightly more realistic. Um, I think there is a lot of hype about Solo, don't get me wrong. Um, and I think that it will come to fruition when it gets released and the initial reactions and when they start to leak out certain bits and pieces. Uh, I think we've all collectively got midnight tickets. Uh, Mera, have you got tickets already to go and see Solo? I don't, no. Crowds kind of suck my air, so I have to wait a little bit. Uh, so we will make sure we will try and be spoiler-free in any discussions that we have uh, around Solo. We don't want to upset all of our listeners, because we know that not everyone's going to get to see it at midnight. Um, <clears throat> but I think we will try and get a show um, on, the, on, the, on the list of things for us to do in and around the Solo release date. Uh, Ali, obviously being out on the West Coast when it all kind of kicked off, did you see anything while you was out there around Solo and the yeah. premiere? Yeah, it's, there is a big contrast to, to what's happening in the UK and the US. So, for example, there were loads of people with solo souvenir cups everywhere where they've been to Denny's and places like that that are, mm. that are giving them out for like three bucks as part of the meal deal. Um, I went into a couple of stores. There was loads of solo products everywhere. The TV on the adverts, at least one solo clip every sort of second cycle of adverts. It's, cool. it, is, it is much more hyped in the States than it has been over here from what I've seen so far. Um, and, and I'd like to make just a, just a couple of points about the, the premiere, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first one is, which I think is really interesting, which I, I don't think I've seen covered anywhere. The premiere was originally supposed to happen in Cannes, but it got moved to, to LA. Oh, yeah. And so I, I wonder if, if they've had um, better feedback than they expected. Because no one's raised this point anywhere that, that it was supposed to be in Cannes. It was the first one. It was supposed to be in France. They made a big deal of that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was it was in L.A. So I think maybe Disney are a bit more confident in this film than they originally were. Um, and, and my second point was um, it, it goes along with the marketing, which I think is incredibly interesting, in that they brought back so many original cast members and indeed George Lucas to this premiere. Uh, everyone apart from Harrison Ford was there, which was really showing that they were trying to. I think I think they were trying to appease some of the audiences that were annoyed with the last film through their marketing and showing that they had support from the previous people. And I don't know if you've seen the the clip of um, I always get his name wrong, but the new Han Solo being um, stopped mid interview by um, by Harrison Ford coming in and get out of my chair. Yeah. Yes. Which I thought was really good, but it's obviously a marketing stunt. So I think Disney have seen the reactions to that film and are really thinking of quite uh, creative, viral ways to get their messaging across in response to it. That's interesting. It's funny because when you think of um, everyone knows Harrison Ford was, or wasn't, I should say, the biggest fan of of the Star Wars franchise. We know he wanted to be killed off allegedly after the first film. Um, So it's interesting that he... And the second and the third, and then obviously finally got his way at the end of The Force Awakens. Uh, Spoiler alert. Um, But I think that it's interesting that he's involved because he isn't known as being that kind of person. It's mad the way that they've actually managed to get him on side that 
if it is true that they're learning a lesson and they're really trying to churn the wheel from a hype perspective, I think they're doing a great job at it. Yeah, I do too. But yeah, your point, your point around Carnes though, very, very interesting. Yeah, again, completely went under the radar. Nothing was mentioned about it. Um, yeah, all of a sudden they're building a Millennium Falcon outside the theatre in MLA. Yeah, and there is no sign of a London European premiere either. I know, I know, Tom is in is in France, but um, but it's it's just interesting that the marketing seems to have changed a lot to become, I would say, almost quite aggressive in the last month. And yes. I feel if that's in response to a a better film than they expected after Ron Howard finished mixing it, because that only happened quite recently, and then also um, the the reaction to, I mean, it's. A lot of people have said that the, the new series of films are not George Lucas films, so what better way to get them back on board than by having George Lucas there? Yeah. See to endorse it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And just as a side note, did we all see what George Lucas was actually wearing? The Nike. <laughs> yeah, like Nike from like the nineties. It's like a proper callback. Is like, is he still is he still trying to think he's gonna direct it back in his heyday? You know? <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't, he wasn't wearing a flannel shirt, though, so that's, that was a surprise. He had big sneakers. <laughs> and a jacket. You know, it's kind of a mishmash of styles there, uh, which is very interesting. But, yeah, I'll I take your point, Ali, you know, the way that they're trying to hype this up and, you know, for what you've seen in, in, in the US as well and it's been that, that kind of way and everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. I'm, I'm positive for the film. Um, I think collectively as, as a council, we're all quite positive, I'd like to think. Dave, you're fairly positive, aren't you? Very, very. Everything I've seen, the actual bits and pieces that they have released, it feels right. And maybe that that ties into the fact that maybe there's more nostalgia in this movie. Maybe Ron Howard has actually brought it back towards a more nostalgic feel. And that's why they thought it was a great idea to, to lean into what Ali said, bring back the original cast members bring them to the uh, premiere in the, in the US, um, it could be that this is actually a little bit more of a nostalgia fest than we may have thought it was going to be. And how the writers stressed that um, they focused on Han's character being true to character, like mm. he didn't think things through or, you know, not necessarily smart, but he was lucky, you know, those kinds of things. So that's what makes me look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, feels right at the moment. Yeah, I think it does. I think you're right. You know, um, and we know that obviously uh, Rogue One was quite filled with nostalgia uh, from a certain point of view. Um, obviously, it seems slightly more war related. But nevertheless, I think there was nostalgia in there for the fans, which is great. Especially the last five minutes of the scene when Vader comes in. Um, which, ironically, we talked about last week in our top ten uh, favourite moments from, uh, from from the franchise, which is great. Um, and I think that kind of might segue quite nicely into the next news story that we wanted to touch on today. Was that I think this might have been either on the day of the premiere, the day after, something like that. That John Favreau is obviously directing a a new... Uh, TV show, live action show for Star Wars. Uh, previously, we've obviously had the Clone Wars, we've had Rebels, we've got the new Resistance TV show coming out. They've all been animated. Um, and we do know that there was rumours of a Star Wars uh, live action show back in the day before the sell-up to Disney, where it was going to be set on Coruscant. Um, but this is great because 
something that John Favreau said was actually that the, the, the show is going to be set. Um, guys, one of you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember if it was seven years after A New Hope or seven years after Return of the Jedi. I can't remember which way around it was. I thought it was after Return. I think it's after Return. Cool. Yeah. Well, either way, there's clearly going to be in the run-up to uh, The Force Awakens to a certain extent. So there could be an opportunity for kind of crossover of, of characters, perhaps. Um, but ultimately, seven years after... Uh, Return of the Jedi will be kind of focusing in and around uh, the Rebellion becoming uh, the New Republic, we we think. Um, guys, round robin table, you know, Ali, what, what are your thoughts on, on the upcoming show? What, what do you think we can expect from John Favreau? Well, I'm super excited because the, the first thing is the style is going to be in the style of the Jungle Book, it's supposed to be, which is really interesting about what they're going to be able to do with that with regards to, to CGI. I think it's set seven years after the, the after the um, first Death Star's destroyed. Is it the Battle of Yavin? Is when ah, it's, right, okay. So it's oh, after right. New Hope. So it's set after that. Um, and so that means there's some interesting characters out there, um, even from Rebels. I mean, there's uh, there's going to be, if you think about it, Darth Maul could be out there and all these type of people. So it's, it's the possibilities are really endless with what they might do. It's supposed to be a whole new set of characters, is my understanding, which I think is really cool. But I don't. I think it'll be hard not to bring in some people from the expanded universe or from the animated series in some form. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it could be really, really cool. Alistair, you worked that with Rebels. Sorry, go on. Sorry, Mary. Are you sure, Alistair? Because it says that it takes place between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Three yeah. new stories. No? Uh, just... The nerdists were the people that got the original scoop, and they corrected their tweet after they put it out, and everyone said after that, but it's it's definitely them. My bad. Okay. I, I was just sorry. I was just going to say if it's if it's seven years after the destruction of the first Death Star, then it would still be after the Battle of Endor. Mm-hmm. Three years, yeah. yeah. Three years yeah. after the battle, yeah. yeah. So it it could feature the mopping up of imperial forces, which quite a few like I I know that you've read that quite a few of the, the comic video books, games, doesn't it, Dave? So Sorry, that happens in the last video game, in so in the playable bit of that. So it, it's it's set after after the operation was it called Cedar? I think it was called. Um, and so you've, you've had the, the Battle of Jakku and the last and the last remnants destroyed at this point. Ooh. So that's that's the Battlefield Two game that you're referencing. Yeah, that, yeah, Battlefield Two. Yeah, yeah right. it's interesting because one thing that has just occurred to me, knowing the time frame that it is, um, for those of you that know your Thrawn history, he came back into the fold after the death of the Emperor. Uh, and mm. that's where like the Hand of Thrawn trilogy was envisaged. Sorry, envisaged, uh, placed in 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 the timeline, as it were. Now we know from the end of Rebels that um, Thrawn was taken into into the outer space, outer rims, um, and he is still alive. Dave Filoni has confirmed that he is still alive. Now, knowing this, could we see Thrawn as the main protagonist for uh, for the Empire? Uh, or the First Order, as it's going to evolve into, as we know it will. Uh, I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, to your point, uh, if there are new characters, I think you, you were bang on there, Ali. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ali, where 
we know that in Clone Wars and we know in Rebels, well, in Rebels in particular, there was five brand new characters, yet we know they brought in Darth Maul. They brought in uh, some of the other characters that we knew from the movie, so therefore we know that there's an opportunity to bring back Rebels. They, even, they could even bring back Ahsoka. Um because we know that she apparently she's alive, you know that that's the way it works. So again, there's a lot of things that John Favreau can can play with. But again, if it's in and around, maybe even after the Battle of Jakku from Battlefront, um, again, there's so much stuff that they can do and kind of lead in and kind of drip feed to what happened in the Force Awakens as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and if it's only really that stories. Absolutely, and I think that's that's really exciting because. We've never seen a live-action TV show for Star Wars. Uh, we've always seen animated or a movie. Um, we've seen lots of fan fiction on, on YouTube and whatnot. Um, but I think this could be a really cool thing for the Star Wars universe. And I'd like to see it maybe even play into this Galaxy's Edge. Uh, so the, the, obviously the, the extension to the theme park in, in California and Florida is actually going to be a planet in the Star Wars universe. It's going to be completely canon. Um, it exists. So I'd like, to, I'd like to hope that maybe that could even tie into that. That'd be quite exciting. Or is that just me being a Disney nerd as well as a Star Wars nerd? <laughs> <laughs> Which, at the end, I was going to say, at the end of the day, that's what Disney want to do, though, isn't it? Mm. Right. So the more things they can tie together and the more ways that they can extend the, the experience, the better. And I'm all for that. You know, um, I'm hoping to be out there when the when the new Star Wars land extends and, and is open to the public. I think that would be amazing. And we don't know when the movie well, did, did Obviously, he said when it's going to be set. Did he mention when the show is actually going to be ready and kind of out on air, as it were? No, no. People are guessing in a couple of years, but nobody knows yet. Because one thing he yeah. did, I think, was kind of alluded to, again, I don't know if it was explicitly said, but it's going to be on the um, the pay digital channel that Disney are creating for their own platform. So think of a Disney Netflix, if you will. Um, it's going to be shown on that. Uh, which is which is quite similar to Star Trek and what CBS did over in the States as well. So it, it depends what country you're in, because I bet Netflix will have the rights in half the country like they did for Star Trek. Well, True, but if they go down the route of creating their own pay-per-view yeah. channel, as a rival to Netflix, you could see all, I might again going into the Marvel thing here, you've got all the different Marvel characters currently on Netflix, uh, the Defenders. So all yeah. of that could be migrated across to a Disney channel. Well, if you think... And they, they could hoover up other things like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, yeah, you've got... Um, <clears throat> Disney already have the app Disney Life, which has got all of their kind of movies and TV shows on it. But they also share the rights to those with other vendors so in the UK here um, there's Sky Disney so Sky is like a cable equivalent for our listeners in the US and, and all over the place and Sky has this Disney channel all the Disney channels as well and the idea I think is Disney are actually going to take everything off of distributed content um, Angels of Sh well Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually wrapping up I believe at the end of this series so uh, which is a shame because I'm really enjoying it uh, so I segue it's, it's uh, really good yeah and, really good um, it actually ties into Avengers, going back to our earlier discussion, apparently later on in the series, which I'm really going to be interested to get there. Um, we're about 10 episodes behind in the UK compared to the US. Um, but I think Disney are going to go down this approach of collecting everything that they can, bundling it all up and putting it online. So if you want it, you have to pay Disney for it. And it's their content. So I kind of don't... Um, 
Well, that's the point, though, isn't it? Which is why they will do it differently in different countries. It's the Game of Thrones problem, which George R. R. Martin often says. The biggest problem with Game of Thrones is it's HBO's biggest channel that more people pirate than actually pay for. Mm. Because it's easy just to download it in two seconds after someone puts it online. So if they if they do go down that route, it's quite a dangerous one. By excluding a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. We shall see, I suppose. Yeah, I get what we you mean. See, yeah. Yeah, 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 if they take it away from other channels. We shall see. Indeed. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and I think just kind of that actually does segue quite nicely into to the final piece of news uh, that we wanted to discuss today was... Again, something that has been rumoured for a while that has kind of really kind of come to the forefront over the past few days that there is actually post-production or pre-production work, I should say, happening on an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Um, this kicked off in again in and around the time of the solo premiere. Um, and I, I, I must admit, I've heard these rumours for a while. People have said this would be really good. We've obviously had the, the Kenobi uh, book, which is quite cool as well. But nevertheless, I think that if they can actually come out of a, a Kenobi movie and do it well, it'd be really interesting to see when they're actually going to do this. You know, um, Dave, kind of obviously we, we, we had a very quick discussion on our on our WhatsApp group. Jump into it, mate. What, what are your thoughts on an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie? I think I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that it's more than just rumours and it is actually happening. Um, I'm guessing it's Ewan McGregor. Um, I'm guessing it's set at some period when he's overseeing the, uh, Luke's um, guardianship from a distance. I don't know what the story would be. I mean, he's on Tatooine. Is he called away from Tatooine for for a mission? Uh, I mean, I, we know that he's he's been in contact with Bail Organa previously. Is it something linking into that? Because both. Um, the characters that played Bail Organa and Obi-Wan Kenobi are, uh, sorry, and um, Ewan McGregor of the, the right age to both now be back in a movie together mm. side by side again. Yeah, Jimmy Smith. As, a, as, a, as mm. an older, yeah, that's a Jimmy Smith, yeah. So both of them are old enough and have aged to, to be at the right age, maybe as Luke's growing up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, <laughs> couple of points to add on that as well, Dave. Um, Ewan McGregor was at the solo premiere, which got a lot of people talking and very excited because there's this rumour going around that he's got a cameo in this solo film. I don't know if you've heard that. I he is. Um, and obviously he, he did an interview last year with, um, I think it was Parisian, it was definitely a, a French publication, where he said that, you know, I'm now 45 and last time I did it I was 30, so I'm halfway between the age of, of what I was then and what Alec Guinness was when he filmed the original part, so it's a great time to do it. And, you know, if you, if you think about what we saw in Rebels with his fight with Maul, I mean, that would be an amazing arc to, to carry on, uh, I swear. So I think all those sort of details are really interesting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't expect them to be at that premiere without there being some reason. Disney are just too smart to do that. Well, it, it's funny. I, I saw him at the premiere as well. I saw the pictures of him. And the first thing that I thought was obviously the rumours for this came out. And I'm thinking, he's looking way too clean shaven <laughs> um, <laughs> at the premiere to be playing an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, obviously, we know that you can stick a beard on in, you know, 
a fake beard and whatnot. But it's funny, that was the first thing that I thought of. I was like, oh, it's not going to be a real beard. But that's just me, again, being rather nerdy. <laughs> Didn't he just have a beard recently? He did. He did, and he, he shaved it. Yeah. So maybe he's done his filming already. No. Um, yeah. Or maybe he did it for Solo with that beard. Exactly. Yeah, I, I didn't hear that rumour um, about him being in Solo. It's That's an interesting one for me. And, you know, like last week I mentioned that Mark Hamill made an accidentally on purpose um, slip-up saying that Anthony Daniels is going to be in Solo as well. Uh, but <laughs> I think if, if they can bring in... Obi-Wan, again, I don't know how, unless it's near the end of him being in uh, the cantina and uh, he may- maybe he meets Han Solo and that's the way the film ends or something. I don't know, because obviously he knows that's the place to go for pilots and he was pointed in Han Solo's direction, so maybe they meet earlier than expected. Who knows? I don't know. I, I don't know. That would mess up continuity for... A New Hope. Um, a New Hope. Mm. Yeah. Especially if they want to get a couple more movies in, if 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 this does well, they'll want to milk Solo. Yeah, and milk Obi Wan Kenobi as well, because like, there were first first rumours about this uh, maybe about a year or two ago, saying they're going to make a Kenobi trilogy. Um, yes, because, yeah, it keeps coming and going, and yeah. I think because the fans are excited by it, it keeps being teased, doesn't it? It does, yeah. and when you think that between the end of Revenge of the Sith to the beginning of A New Hope. There's a good 20 years, 22 years or something like that. That's enough time to do a, a trilogy, for sure. Uh, as long as, obviously, I think you might get some intertwining with Solo, Rogue One, Rebels. It'd be interesting to see how they all interconnect together. Would indeed. Yeah. I vote for it. I'm sure we'd all go and see I- it as well. Absolutely. Yeah, oh yeah. Cool. So I think that's come coming up to the end of our news section today, guys. Um, unless I've missed off anything, fellow council members, I don't think I have. No, don't think I have. Wonderful. No. So before we jump into our uh, topic of the week, uh, Ali, you were West Coast. You managed to swing by Lucasfilm, I believe. Uh, some awesome pictures on the Twitter feed that you posted. Yeah. How would no. it go? It's... It's an amazingly cool place, and, and I think it's one of those hidden gems for tourists going to San Francisco. So, so I was actually um, in the states from May the fourth. So I thought, oh wow, I'm I'm in California. They're going to go to town on this. There's going to be loads of stuff. Nothing, nothing at all. Um, oh. So there, 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 there was nothing to do for it, which was which was a bit disappointing. Um, but so I did I did make the pilgrimage up to up to Lucasfilm, which is this amazing park. You take this really cool walk down the bay, walking towards um, the Golden Gate Bridge, and then there's just a really cool park where, where it is, and there's a statue of, of Indiana Jones, and then you see the Yoda Fountain, which is just unbelievably cool. And so it's actually um, a, a work, place of work. It, is, it isn't a tourist attraction at all, <laughs> but what they do is they open up the, the foyer. So um, as you go in there, you can also see the Lucasfilm logo, which, you know, for me, just gives me a mini heart attack just thinking oh you know this is where they've made so much cool stuff um but there is a but there is a couple of uh well they're not even props they're costumes from from the original film so you've got uh the original r2d2 you've got darth vader um and then you have lots of um little books and props and tie-ins on the on the shelves it's really really cool um 
totally worth a visit. There's no public transport that's easy to get there. There is um, there's a free bus that takes you back to San Francisco from there. But um, it is it is a working place. But it's so worth going to because as as you walk out of it, there's um there's like a Starbucks next to it, and you can see in the windows where people were working on the Star Wars films have put like helmets, and I, I think they do it deliberately. They put like some artwork up and stuff, and you're kind of thinking, oh, is that the pre-production for the next film? Because obviously that's what they're doing there right now. Mm. And so you're, you're kind of thinking, oh, wow, this is so amazing. And, yeah, it's totally, totally worth checking out if you're in San Francisco. I, I don't think you get a bigger recommendation than that. No, it's really cool. It's really cool. It's one of the highlights of my trip. It's just awesome. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. I, I've managed to get to the West Coast a couple of times uh, in the past, but never had the opportunity to make my way out to, to Lucasfilm. Uh, it's it's on the list of going there, and uh, Rancho Obi Wan is another place that I want to go when I make my way to kind of central Northern California at some point. Um, and I think that Lucasfilm is on there as well. And yeah, it sounds like, sounds awesome, even though it wasn't open for you to kind of go in. Um, Didn't mention that. Well, well, I knew that because we had a side conversation, so it wasn't open. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't actually go in, which was a shame. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> to your point, though, if it's a place of work, it's not going to be open uh, for the general public to a certain extent anyway, really. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, but it sounds like you had an awesome time. Lucasfilm aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just being in, in America around the time of launch is so awesome. I mean, I, I know you've been to California as well. So it's an eight-hour time difference from the UK. So I found it really weird to get my head around the fact that when you wake up in California, the East Coast has been awake for two or three hours. And then you sort of, because you're watching like Good Morning America, and I watched actually on May the 4th an interview with Ron Howard, and it was when he gave away the sort of exclusive that Chewie and Han Solo don't get along at the start of the film. Spoiler. But it was really cool just to see that, because we wouldn't get to see that in the UK. Um, because yeah. we, we don't have those channels. And it, it was so interesting just watching all the TV snippets and sort of the cool time promotionals that we just don't get here. So, yeah, I really, really loved it. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that we'd have to wait for it to be on YouTube or something like that before we even got sight of it or somebody recording a video and posting it on Twitter or Facebook or something like that, to your point. We, we kind of don't get access to that over here. And we never get the, like, the, I know Good Morning America, uh, really go to town with this this kind of stuff and you know when 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 avengers was was coming out i was in i was obviously in florida so i saw good morning america kind of go to town interviewing all the characters throughout the week because obviously good morning america's on abc which is a disney uh tv show so therefore they get all the rights and whatnot so and all the access that they need so it, it's kind of cool to have that um i'd love to have something like that over here in the uk um that's kind of focusing on nerds like us <laughs> to give us that kind of content i know good morning good morning america isn't just for nerds obviously but something that would be an, enable us to get access to that kind of content is, is fantastic just just one other sidetrack on that the american audience cares a lot more about the royal wedding than we do everywhere <laughs> 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 i'm just i'm just like we, we don't even get any adverts here no one's that bothered but in america oh it was all on all the time I learned so much about them. (laughs) (laughs) Mera, being our uh, our correspondent kind of across the pond, (laughs) what what are your thoughts on that? What are my thoughts on which one? Oh, all of it. (laughs) All of it. Yeah, no, let's go. The Royal Wedding in particular, because I I must admit, I've 
I obviously go to the States a couple of times a year. Uh, and and there's always questions about the royal family and this, that, and the other. And um, from seeing it from an outside looking in, it looks it's a really it's really weird. But obviously, being kind of that side of the water, as it were, Mary, do you, do you, do you see that kind of enthusiasm for the royal family? Um, probably not so much as when um, Charles and Diana. I mean, that was world stopping. Um, we do pay attention to. The, the recent birth, you know, it does make the papers, but it doesn't seem to be as um, obsessed uh, as it was back then. I mean, Diana really did take the world by storm. Uh, she was an incomparable, but yeah, we still like to dream and live <laughs> vicariously and, and think everything's better where you guys are and, you know, still have royals. It is. <laughs> yeah, have, you know, well, we have Disney, right? So we have princes and princesses, and we want to meet the knight in shining armor, and you know, and you guys uh, have that still, I think, so, which is part of the allure. True, true. So, Although I don't think any of us are likely to ever marry a princess. Right. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I hope my girlfriend didn't hear that. She's very much a princess. Okay, a, a real princess. <laughs> <laughs> a member of the royal family. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's what, and, you know, my, my wife's a Disney princess anyway, so therefore... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Get ourselves out of a hole there, Alex. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she won't be listening to this podcast, but I do love her dearly. <laughs> <laughs> so wrapping up on all the news, the hype around the royal family... Um, and obviously Ali's visit to the West Coast. It's now time for us to jump into our topic of the week um, and tying quite handsomely into the, the solo premiere and everything that's kind of gone along with TV slots, the trailers. We're going to be discussing uh, some of the... the uh, I think we discussed it and we didn't, guys. We're going to have the spaceships of Star Wars. But we're going to focus on for today on the uh, original era. So what I mean by that, and I touched on this at the start of the podcast, was that in and around the original trilogy... Uh, Rogue One, uh, and indeed we're going to be touching on Star Wars uh, Solo. Obviously, Star Wars it's collectively Star Wars. Oh, Slip of the mind there. Um, but I think that one thing that kind of prompted us to have this discussion was the Millennium Falcon. Um, <clears throat> we all love. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a royal wee moment there. Um, the the Millennium Falcon, and it's obviously been one of the main kind of focal ships across every single film. Really, you know, we see it in the original trilogy. Uh, we see it in the sequel trilogy that obviously Disney have brought back. The uh, the garbage will do, uh, to famously quote Ray uh, from The Force Awakens. And we know that it is kind of seen, well, uh, well a freighter is of its kind in, in, the, uh, in the prequel trilogy as well. But one thing that obviously caught the eye of many a Star Wars fan, um, and still does to a certain extent, is the design of the Millennium Falcon in the new Solo film. And that's prompted quite a, a huge debate. And, you know, Dave, I know you're quite a visual guy. What were your thoughts when you first saw the new uh, Millennium Falcon? I tell you, isn't it cleaned? <laughs> that, that was the first thing I ever thought of as soon as I saw it. It's like, wow. I didn't realise that the, the inside walls of Millennium Falcon were white at one time. I thought they were just painted grey. I thought that was the, the colour that they were. Um, it, it, it's a testament to how well Han Solo looked after that shit, really, isn't it? <laughs> or lack thereof, as the case may be. Yeah, yeah. 
Ali no, I, I, it's it's a it's a visual shit. I mean, it, even the original, the original design that you saw from the original uh, trilogies, um, it's a very. I think because the the layout of the ship is asymmetric, um, it's it's unusual. Whenever you look at aircraft, whenever you look at designs for spacecraft and things like that, you you often get a symmetrical shape. And I think the deliberate asymm- asymm- asymmetry of the Millennium Falcon, um, I think that that's part of its allure and why it's eye catching and why it feels slightly different. It feels unusual. I've never heard the Millennium Falcon described as unusual, but I totally understand where you come from. Absolutely, yeah. Now, you what, look at you look at you look at every other ship, and if you were to split it laterally down the middle, the two halves are exactly the same. Yeah. The X-wing fighter, a Y-wing fighter, a B-wing is possibly the other one that would fall into this category. And again, and again, the B-Wing is a very striking design because it doesn't follow that that symmetry. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And, uh, and obviously you were one of the lucky people uh, in my mind. You got to saw A New Hope see, I should say. You get to see A New Hope uh, when you was a kid, when you was actually in the cinema. So kind of you saw it on the big screen uh so mm. even on the bigger screen must have been quite an impressive sight to behold yeah oh what yes mayor as well uh, yeah. you took the words right out of my mouth mary you know you, you were again you were one of the lucky people to kind of see a new hope in the cinema when it first came out again the the, the millennium falcon did it have like a an imprint on you did what were your thoughts when you first saw it as well well yeah it was um i thought it was like a disc on stilts or something <laughs> i'm a little <laughs> kid so uh um... But I thought it was amazing. It was different. It was like uh, it captured my attention. It it was not like anything I'd ever seen before. Absolutely, and I think the concept of like a round ship, for the most part, you know, has all been around a UFO. Kind of back in the day, when mm. you think about it, everyone, it used to assume a UFO would be this uh, kind of s- circular spaceship that just spins around. Even when you look at the uh, the Enterprise and Star Trek as a comparison. Um, it's that, that that circular disc on top of the on top of the engines, as it were, and you know the the Millennium Falcon kind of takes that and makes it so much better. Um, and and hopefully oh, it's, better, it's better than any Star Trek ship, isn't it? Absolutely, you'd agree with that, wouldn't you, Ali? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I was I was going to come in at that point anyway, um, because I. I was going to add to the Star Trek bit where when I first saw the Enterprise, I saw it as sort of a, a a massive vessel that you could take on exploration, but also a bit of a battleship that you could go to war with. Whereas when I first saw the Millennium Falcon, it's quite an agile ship. And it gets in and out of places very quickly, and it's got limited offensive capabilities compared to most sort of spaceships that you see, which I think is really, really cool differentiation about it. And I, I agree with you. There's something... That, that arouses a childlike um, smile and enthusiasm whenever you see it. And just because of the oddity of the shape and, and sort of the, the connection to what you've seen it do. So I, I do think it's, it's the most iconically interesting ship. Yes, but not yeah. the best, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going I'm to ask a question here, guys, just to kind of get your view and just to see if this can prompt some debate, dare I say it, but 
would you say the Millennium Falcon is the best ship in the original era? Open question, so whoever wants to take that first. <laughs> I think we might associate it being the best ship because of the pilot. Yeah. Maybe. But then again, we love a, I love an X-Wing because of Ooh. the pilot, Luke. <laughs> you know? I don't know about the best ship, but one of the most great. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's different to the other types. Because all the other ships that you might class of a similar size... Are slightly smaller because they're, they're like one or two person fighters or bombers or, or what have you. But the Falcon is the only ship yeah. that's small and maneuverable where you see people being able to walk down corridors and there's, there's discrete rooms, just somewhere to sit, somewhere to sleep. Yeah. So I think, in a way, it's almost like a flying caravan. I was just going to say. <laughs> well, oh my goodness, that was weird. Uh, have you seen the film Spaceballs, Dave? Yes. <laughs> exactly like that. I'm kind of thinking that's where they went with that kind of concept uh, to have it as a flying caravan. That is a great, uh, <laughs> all by unsurprising uh, way to describe the Millennium Falcon. That is an interesting way to describe it for sure. It was perfect, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> well, I suppose it, it was a freight, wasn't it? So it was... <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm trying to think what you would have as a... I suppose on... If you was to equate it to something on Earth, it would be a small cargo ship. Like a bunker? <laughs> Sorry, a what? A flying bunker? <laughs> bunker? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like an RV in the sky to a certain extent, isn't it? Um, you know, one yeah. of these big things that has got a kitchen. Well, as we know from the uh, the video that was shared recently, it was um, it has a well, it's got like a cocktail maker, it's got a sound system, it's got everything the the party man needs to travel the universe. Clearly, uh, which is why Lando has has kind of created it that way. And it's funny because <clears throat> each of you have obviously spoken about. The Millennium Falcon and obviously what we expect in Solo. None of you have touched on what I was expecting in relation to the new Solo film. In that it looks completely no. different at the front. Isn't that a little transport? Yeah. Or does it get broken off? Yeah. It's well, quite... I, I have a theory about that, Alex. Go on. Another, another spoiler which I, I have shared with Dave, which is we know that Han didn't deliver some cargo to Jabba. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be the cargo. I think he's going to drop it. Jessened. Yeah, I reckon that's going to turn up being that in the film. Ooh. So it's almost like a cargo pod on the front. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I kind now, of. I thought it was a bit well, more like the Ghost and the Phantom. Um, well, could be. Okay, I've, I've, I'm trying to think where it is now. I've got a book that is, is. I'm trying to think how old it is now. It predates Disney, so it could well no longer be canon. But it was a book that was talking about the, the YT model freighter. And it showed loads. I'm going to have to, I will, I will get some photographs of this book and some of the internal pages of this book. And it showed 
it was almost like you're now the proud owner of the YT Freighter type of thing. And it explained the fact that you could have different types of cargo modules and you could, and some of them actually went between the two prongs at the front. So it's possible that they're tying into stuff that had already been there. I might there was things like going back to the the asymmetry of the Falcon and the fact that you've got the the driver's seat, the pilot's seat is on the right hand side. And the idea was that it allowed it to the freighter itself to, to be used almost as a as a not not necessarily a tug because it wasn't pulling but pushing something. And the two prongs at the front, I don't know what you call them, nacelles, I don't know, um, the two prongs at the front, you could mount a cargo pod between them and then the engine the, the engine at the back of the freighter would then push it. And the reason that the, the um, pilot's cockpit was on, on the side would be to allow the pilot to see ahead of the cargo that it was pushing. And the idea that the the um, radar dish was on the left-hand side was because that was the pilot's blind side. Mm. Um, I need to find pictures of this. I'll, I'll dig out yeah. some pictures. I'll get some photos and put them up on Twitter. Um, and yeah, this, this this book showed like loads of different like configurations that you could have for the for the YT class freighter, and some of it showed it with it without the two prongs. Okay, that's pretty cool. And some kind, and sometimes the cockpit in the middle. Yes, yes, there was like a centralized yep. version of it. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> that's know, true. That one. Yeah, I forgot about that one. I think it'd be interesting to see where they do go with it for the solo movie. You know, there's so much they can do, and and since these pictures have come out, I've seen Facebook groups where they're trying to uh, zoom in on, on the Millennium Falcon to see, oh, look, there's the rails where something can slip in and slip out. So it's always been there. Um, you know, it's kind of retrospective trying to connect the dots. But, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, a problem with the design. There was quite a, there was quite a lot of outrage when it first got announced. Um, I, I kind of saw on Facebook and Twitter saying, that's not the Millennium Falcon. It's a totally different ship and this, that and the other. So I'm really intrigued to see where they go with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think that was our first ship that we wanted to quickly walk through in this new, in this original era uh, from a, a movie perspective. And, and Dave, you are the man with the master list. Um, you go into the next ship. After you, my man. Oh, okay. Well, I'm thinking if we maybe approach the, the rebel ships. So they've, they've got quite a, a wide range of and we're sticking to the non-capital class ships. So uh, we're talking fighters, bombers, um, and and keeping it within that type of range. So Millennium Falcon, I guess, would be one of the largest ships in this class. So for the Rebels, I suppose it's it's the X-Wing next, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Possibly the most iconic of the Rebel ships. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the um, X-Wing, as a kid, when I first saw... Star Wars, I was just intrigued at the, at the X-Wing, and then obviously when they're going to, I think they're going to attack mode and the wings just open up, 
to form. S foils. Yeah, to yeah, 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 to go into that X shape. For me as a kid watching this, I was like, "Oh my god, that's just so cool." Um, yeah. Even as a grown adult, when I watch it now, I still think exactly the same. Which X wings didn't really feature. Okay, okay, they, they were massive towards the end of the original movie, mm. but they didn't actually. You never actually saw any X wings until they were all on Yavin, and then you. you Whereas you'd already been introduced to pretty much all of the other ships by then. Um, and you just saw the, the um, various different fighters. So you had the X-Wings and Y-Wings take off from the, the Masai Temple on, on Yavin 4. Um, and they just like lift off as normal aircraft almost with the wings. And then you then it then cuts to the scene in space where they're coming around Yavin um, towards the Death Star. And the like gold lead uh, uh, just says. Standing by. Green leader standing by. Green leader standing by. Luck S foils in attack positions. And all of a sudden, these these wings just you you also like the vibration noise as well, the whirring noise of the wings opening, and all of a sudden they're all X's. Mm. It's just yeah, it's just something amazing. Like wow, it's not a plane anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's something about the style, isn't there? About the X-wing, it is ridiculously iconic. I've I've got the Lego um, X-wing, and it's by far one of my my favourites for sure. I've got an old Lego X-wing. I don't have any of the new ones, um, and it's the one from Empire Strikes Back where it crashes in the swamp. So I actually have Yoda's foot as well. That's a pretty cool set. Yeah, it is an old set. It's it's a yellow Luke as opposed to a flesh coloured Luke. Uh, yeah. Um, and you got like bits of weed that drape off the the X wing body. It's because he was in the swamp. Yes. Yes. Very. Thank cool. you, Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow Luke. I was trying to explain that. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ali, what are your thoughts on the X wing? I like the fact that there was a droid in it. I thought it was really quite cool. Yes. It was, I think uh, uh, I, I wondered if Mary would touch an R two D two at this point. Um, I touched this time. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just thought it was really cool because obviously you're introduced to this droid at the beginning of the film, and then you're like, ah, that's what his purpose is. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you. It is completely iconic. In fact, one of my well, I had like a, a motorbike when I was like 16, moped, and it had like my other bikes and it switched on. Stroke moped. That kind of well, it wasn't really moped. a moped, it was a motorbike, it was much cooler than that, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just remember having that, because the X-Men was like so cool and iconic, and I loved it. I still think, yeah. Did you pretend not- to be R2-D2 when you put your like helmet on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not you, I don't dress up for these sort of things. <laughs> I bet it was adorable. <laughs> I crashed it, so not that. Oh, it, was it into yeah. a swamp? Pardon? Was it into a swamp? No, rural mail van. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those American listeners, that is the biggest red van you could ever see. Not to notice it. I jumped off. Was it because you were talking to Artie behind you? You weren't looking where you were going. Yeah, exactly. Too exactly many beats right. and whistles. In fact, after you helped me put it back together, it was really cool. 
he did. <laughs> so Ali, Ali's injury aside, Mera, being the, the big R2-D2 fan that you are, I'm kind of touching on what Ali just said, you know, seeing R2 in an X-Wing, that must have been pretty cool. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, it kind of solidified for me that this droid it can do anything. I mean, he can fly, he can fix, he can, I mean, what can he not do? That's it was just awesome. That's a very good point, though, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm sure he'll be able to make a cup of tea at one point if uh, if you let him. Uh, so therefore, yeah, he's a droid of many, many talents, and you know, easily a fan favorite. So you have a a fan favorite droid piloting a fan favorite vehicle, which is a, a pretty good cool combination to have. Absolutely, and he can fix up C three PO. Yes, he can. Well, I thought you said it was a good thing. Everything's falling apart, but R2 puts them back together. <laughs> or it back together. Everything back together. I suppose that, that leads us on to the Y-Wing in a way, because the Y-Wing also allows for the R2 unit to sit behind the pilot. Yeah, and again, that ties in quite nicely to the uh, to the Twitter today, the Twitter feed today. So for, for the listeners who kind of follow us on Twitter, uh, if you're a listener and you don't follow us on Twitter, get on Twitter, find the, at the Jedi underscore council, follow us, we do some really good tweets. Uh, and Dave, today you did a really cool build um, of a Lego Y-Wing. Yes, the UCS model. Notice Which, I didn't even press one today. <laughs> <laughs> it took me all day. It was seven, <laughs> seven, just over seven hours to build the thing. How many uh, bags in total? Are how big is it? Just shy of two thousand pieces. Oh dear! Wow! Wow! Um, when it's built, it's got to be foot and a half long. Oh wow! Very heavy. So that's going to go on your coffee table in the front room, pride of place, right? I don't know where it's going to go. To be <laughs> fair, I've got a UCS snow speeder and a UCS slave one as well. So I don't know. <laughs> Because um, I've also got I've got the smaller version of the Y wing, um, which is only about a foot long. So this this dwarfs that. Wow! In fact, it's possibly closer to two feet long. This this the UCS one. Wow! I might get another one. I'll, I'll take notes. Another photo I'm going to do. I'll get a photo of it beside the other Y wing to give you an idea of the size of it. It's a monster shit. It yeah. really is. I don't really have the, the UCS Falcon, but I would say this this is possibly the the second largest UCS set. Just just from the physical footprint of the, the actual craft itself. Wow. wow. And the details that you shared on Twitter were were amazing. It, it really was, dare I say, a scaled version almost. Uh, when you look at uh, a wiring in, in in the movies and you know, the, the detail that goes in there has gone massively into the actual uh build that you did, the small bits and pieces that connected all together, it's, it's pretty uh, intricate. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing with the Y-Wing. That I always I, I always liked the Y-Wing. The Y-Wing and the B-Wings, for me, were, were two of the, the craft that I really liked. And the thing about the Y-Wing was the fact that you were, it was all open, and you could see all the gubbins and all the workings of it. Because um, you don't really see that on all the other, the other craft. They were all enclosed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it was a very detailed and very intricate looking outside of the ship because because there was so much on show. 
And the, the, the kit replicates that really well. Really, yeah. really well. Yeah. So is the, would the Y-Wing be your, your favourite ship from a Rebel point of view? <sighs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> the I just mentioned right the B-Wing and, and the B-Wing is also, I think, coming out of watching Return of the Jedi at the cinema, um, I think for me the B-Wing was just, wow, look at that, it's just amazing. It has wings that open out and the cockpit rotates around and it was just, no, was, yeah, the B-Wing was just, I think the B-Wing trumps the Y-Wing just. Just. Interesting. I must admit, this might be slightly controversial. I'm not a massive fan of the B Wing. Mm-hmm. And I have no real reason why. I just, it doesn't do anything for me, you know. It doesn't do a lot in the movies, to be fair. Right. That's groovy. That's a really so if, if point. You, yeah. Yeah, because if you, if you have a look at most of the ships in. In, I suppose it was A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, that the mass space battles. And it was all X Wings and Y Wings. And I suppose you also had the A Wings in Return of the Jedi. Um, but the B Wings didn't really do a lot. Yeah, I'm trying to rack my brain of the most significant, dare I say, uh, and I know this is not allowed to a certain extent. I think the. The, the biggest thing that the B-Wing ever did was in an episode of Rebels. Oh, yeah, with yes. Hera. Yeah, yeah, with Hera, yeah. Yeah. And, and for, That's for, true. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for the listeners, we're, we're going to try and do this on a bit of a bi-regular uh, process where we're obviously discussing the original era today. We're then going to kind of jump back and look at the prequel era. We're then going to have the sequel era uh, and effectively then have animated, which will encompass Rebels uh, and, and also Clone Wars, obviously. Now, there'll be massive crossover between all every single era that we're going to be talking about, but nevertheless, I think that that's a really good shout-out, David, that the B-Wing is not the most um, dynamic, it's not the most... It's, you know, I'm trying to find the right word to kind of describe it. It just It's there, it looks cool, but that's a, it doesn't do anything else. No, it doesn't. And I don't know if that's because when I was a kid, I remember seeing, I never had it because my parents could never afford it, but I remember seeing the B-Wing um, toy, the, the Kenner um, oh, spaceship yeah. with the rotating cockpit. And I, th- I think for me, it was just the fact that it, it was just such a cool looking toy. I remember seeing it in catalogs and drooling. And yeah, it, it fascinated me the way the B wing rotates as well. Um, as as a kid, kind of watching the film, we didn't actually experience or see it on screen. But obviously, it gets kind of alluded to the way that it rotates with the the cockpit being the focal point of the ship. Uh, obviously, um, I mean that, it's that's just one big wing, isn't it? That's just attached to the cockpit. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. And two two little foils that open out of the main wing. Yeah, it always used to fascinate me how it would land. (laughs) Until until obviously uh, you kind of learn a little bit more about the way it flies and and everything and the way that the the wings operate. And as a kid watching this, I was like, yeah, that's really cool. But where's the wheels? Because obviously you kind of relate it to your real life experience of like maybe seeing a 
an aeroplane where you know the wings are there and the wheels come out and it lands. And I'm looking at it going, how is that going to land? It didn't make any sense, but obviously we know now how. But um, an interesting design, nevertheless. It is. It is. Um, so I suppose that's that's what that. So we, we discussed there the X wing, the Y wing, and the B wing, which which I think were the, the three main fighters from the original trilogy. You also had the A wing that popped up as well. Yeah, I'm. A, I must. Admit, I'm a fan of the A wing. Um, it's it's the kind of ship that if I was a solo pilot, it'd be the one that I would want to fly. It's just it, the way it's quite nimble. Uh, the way it flies, the way it operates, I think for me that that I think that's my. Even though I'm a massive fan of the X-wing, um, I think the A-wing for me. I don't know why it just that kind of stands out. It's like a there are say the sports car uh, of the uh, of the uh, of that wing fleet where it's quite nimble, the way it can spin, the way the way you fly it. It just seems to be quite a cool cool ship to fly. I think it's more traditional. Looking, if you was to, if you was asked to draw a spacecraft for a f- with with one person in it, I think it more yeah more more kids would draw it looking like that. It reminiscent of Buck Rogers ships. Yes, yeah. Ooh. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Well, it's oh, funny, yeah. yeah. Jules Lucas Jill, Jill, Jill Gerard ones. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. But uh, from. From Star Wars canon, I guess, I think the, the A-Wing was supposedly designed to be a combat aircraft or fighter to go up against the ties because the ties mm. were supposedly more nimble and more um, a, a more capable in a dogfight than the X-Wing was. Mm-hmm. And so the, a, the A-Wing was almost like a, an air superiority fighter mm. that was brought in. To, to take on the ties. Yeah. Yeah, and you can totally see why the way it flies, the way it's handling and everything like that. Absolutely. Regain, it doesn't do a massive thing in the movies. Yeah. I know we're kind of crossing over a little bit. It's definitely there in Rebels. It's a massive... It features quite a lot in Rebels as well. Um, you know, maybe we might see it pop up in Solo. That'd mm. be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. It might be too early for it, though, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I suppose because that. it was it was brought in towards what the return of the Jedi era, not the um, you don't see it in a New Hope. It's like the B wing; these are almost like fighters that come in later on into the into the war. Whereas the the Y wing was a legacy carryover from the Clone Wars, um, and the X wing was something that the rebels appropriated mm. early on. So again was an older class of fighter. Yeah, that's a really that's a really fair point. You know, you don't see the A Wing in A New Hope, you don't see it in Empire Strikes Back. It's there in uh Returning the Jedi. And it does pop up in Rebels quite a lot. So it'd be it's it's, it's mad that they didn't well obviously Rebels has retrofit into Pick out ships yeah. and whatnot, but nevertheless, it, it, it's it's an interesting thing that they've not used. Dare we say it? Um, in the first two films, when it's obviously quite prominent in the rebellion at the start of the process. Yeah, and then you, you've also got the the other one that's been introduced more recently, which would be the U wings, where we yeah. saw it predominantly in Rogue One. Yes, 
But then its role seems to fulfill, fulfill a slightly different role to a lot of the other ships. It's more of a ground attack. Um, I almost saw it as, as the type of aircraft that would be used as a, as a Star Wars equivalent of a, of a helicopter landing craft. Yeah, like a people so, carrier. Yeah, yeah, almost. But then also then provides ground support mm. once the troops are on the ground. It's almost like you when you when you you look at the old um, Vietnam War style movies, and you saw the was it, the Huey helicopters were they um, that would that would land in, drop a squad of troops, and then take off, and you'd have the gun the gunner hanging out the side of it, providing air support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really cool ship. I must admit, when I saw it appear in Rogue One, uh, that that. Kind of got to me. It's one of these one of these uh, ships that I, I'd like to have as part of my collection. I'm very selective in what I have as a collector. I, I have the Lego version of yeah, that, and it is an awesome ship. I'd love to kind of get hold of that. That that'd be really cool. Absolutely. Ali, no, it's, a, it's a nice set. Really nice set. Yeah, Ali, what's your the wings? Uh, the wings swing as well. Well, even a, even on the Lego set. On the Lego set, yeah. Oh, very cool. Because I know with the with the X wing that I have, um, it has like a little um, knob at the back that when you twist it, it opens the X wing, and then you turn it again yes. and it closes it. I'm I'm assuming it has something similar to that. I'm trying to think now. Um, I don't think it's anything as slick as that. I think it's more a case of the wings just swing forwards. Oh, cool! And then they and then they click in, so they lock into a position. Ah. And then you just unclip them out and you can swing them back round to the back. Cool. Very cool. Ali, what's your uh, what's your kind of take on some of the Rebellion wing ships that we're discussing? Now, as, as you were going through them all, my main takeaway was, was from what Dave was saying, that apart from the X-Men, they're not actually that effective, are they? Like, it wasn't the Y-Winner bomber? Yeah. And do you ever see it actually bomb anything? <laughs> it's, well, it's it's an old ship, isn't it? By the time you see it, and then you don't see the B wing do anything. There you go. It's just something that I took away from what you were saying. Yeah. Because because I suppose when you are comparing ships that are um, offensive, used for military purposes, it's it's quite interesting. We've never got to see some of these quite iconic ships used to their full potential really in the films no but then when you think of when the films were made so we're talking what the the, the late 70s early 80s it was before that he was using cgi to mass effect so these were all real scale models that were used and manipulated by the filmmakers around each other so i guess but we still saw X-wing explosions. Up. We did, we did, but um, it was possibly more a case of it was harder for them to get all these various different variations of craft on screen at the same time and doing different things. And maybe it'd be, it was easier at the time to just say, right, the mainstay of the Rebel fleet was the X-wing and 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 the Y-wing, and and so they were the two ships that they really focused on, and then. The, the A wing and the B wing were the, the two new 
new ships that were just being introduced in Return of the Jedi. So you see them on the periphery rather than in the main battle. Yeah. Because they don't have, it's limited numbers because they're brand new ships. I, I just think they're all really, I think, I think the design work done into them is incredible. Um, mm. I think beautiful, beautiful ships that have every single one of them stood the test of time. If someone came up with any of these designs today, I don't think we'd particularly bat an eyelid and just think, well, that's quite cool. Um, I just think it's, uh, and I've never thought of it this way until you raised it. It's just a shame we never really got to know just what they could do in battle. And maybe we will one day, who knows? Well, maybe in the new TV show. Indeed. Yeah, that could be really cool. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I've kind of, yeah, just been racking my brain on what you're saying there with regards to what do they do. The only time we really see the wire wings effective or, or partially effective, I should say, is, is probably in Rogue One. Um, at the end of the battle scene of Scarif where they jump out of hyperspace, we see that there's a collective of wire wings that go and bomb the shield generator of the planet um, uh, in, in their in their formation, I think that's the only time we really get the Y-Wing to be shown to, as this amazing uh, bomber capability that it has, or that we've been told it has, uh, in, in any of the movies, to your point. I think that's the only one, whereas obviously in, in the uh, original trilogy movies, yeah, we don't really see it do much. We know it's there, um, but definitely the best use of it is in uh, Rogue One, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's used in the battle over um, Yavin because it's basically yeah. it's Y-Wings and X-Wings up against the um, Death Star yeah. and, and the Y-Wings do the trench run first don't they? Yeah that's right there's three, three of them yeah but, yeah but they're then destroyed by Vader and these two TIE fighters uh, um, wingmen yeah. and that's why they're then going with X-Wings because the more nimble yeah. faster aircraft that's what they could have done with the A-Wing. <laughs> yes. So I think we've covered the kind of rebellion side of things for, for the most part. Um, I think that kind of opens up the uh, the discussion to the Empire and some of the really cool ships that it has. I mean, Dave, you, you're the man with the list. Uh, take it away. You say cool, but they're all exactly the same. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pod with some wings on the side of it and that's it really um, you, you could argue that there's variations of the theme but that's pretty much what all the mm. fighters and bombers are that the, the Empire uses so you had the TIE, the TIE fighter I suppose is the, the first one on the list isn't it yeah and it's a, a, a twin ion engine which is what the TIE stands for um and it is literally it's just a, a blister, a round blister pod, um, strapped a couple of engines on the back of it, and two wings, which which are almost like m- massive solar panels. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think what's interesting and a bit different about the Tie Fighter for me, though, Dave, is the noise it makes. Yes. It's, it's unmistakable when you hear that noise as to what's coming a few seconds later. Whereas I, I'm not sure if that's quite so true with something like the Millennium Falcon, for example. Oh, um, the Falcon's got its own noise. But I think the tie found, the tie noise is is a little bit more. You, you know, it, 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 yes, yes, yeah. yeah, I mean, the you know, screaming noise of it. Yeah. yeah. So the the noise almost 
goes before the design for me in many ways. I, about the sound, the one thing I do like about the way that that was done in the movies is that they actually include the Doppler effect on it. So that's that's the the difference that the sound makes as the object approaches and then passes. Ah. And I'm really impressed by the way that they managed to do that in the movie like 40 years ago. And they, they focused upon that as being a key part of the sound it makes. That, that might be one of the reasons then that I associate that so very clearly in my mind is because of that effect. And the way very clever. No, it's very, very clever. And I, yeah, you just, you just always know that the Empire has come in yeah. Almost before you see it because of the noise coming. Mm-hmm. That's true, though. Bad guys. Yeah. And, uh, to be fair, like the pilots as well, their uniform is is possibly the, the coolest of the Imperial uniforms. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I've got quite a few of them in my. Like the Lego buildable characters and, and some collectible and action figures and whatnot. And that, that TIE Fighter pilot alongside the kind of the Shadow Trooper uh, and now the Death Trooper for me are the iconic ones for me. I know obviously the Stormtrooper is it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the one that everybody knows and loves, but I think that the all black look and feel of them is just absolutely amazing. And that's the one thing that kind of caught my eye in, in A New Hope in particular, where Vader's there in his uh, advanced TIE Fighter. His his TIE Fighter is ridiculously cool. The way the wings are shaped. Um, yeah. And when it cuts from him to one of his wingmen, Vader's all in black. His wingmen are all in black. You know, there's, there's part of me as a, as a youngster watching this thinking, blatantly Vader has said, this is my ship. This is what I'm going to look like. And if you want to be with me, you need to look like me. <laughs> and probably just said to them, you're going to be wearing black like me, you know, because he, <laughs> the way that he is portrayed, obviously, in when he's flying that ship, and obviously where we see it in the prequels where we know Anakin is this amazing fighter pilot, um, and Vader is just as, you know, obviously it's him, so equally skilled, and I think the way that that's kind of styled and looked for me is is, is killer. Uh, that to Vader's advanced tie in particular, to your point, Dave, yeah, they, they're very similar in the way that they look, but just the differences in, in the wing formation, the way the wings kind of arc for, for that particular ship, for me, um, I'd probably think that is my favourite tie, uh, hands down. The, the, the tie advanced? Yeah, absolutely. More so than the tie interceptor? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because I always saw the TIE Interceptor almost as an evolution of the Advanced. Yeah. But with the... Because they're having like the, the pointed wings, almost like a streamlining of the, the ship, the, it's it's more elongate, isn't it? Yeah. No, yeah, I'll take your point. I think for me, though, maybe it's just because it's Vader's flying it. I don't know. That might be... <laughs> 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 Maybe slightly superficial. Nothing about the vehicle, but it's the man. It's about the man piloting it. I don't know. <laughs> but, Fair enough. Yeah. I, again, I think it goes back to what we've been saying throughout the podcast, and that, and and Mara, you brought this up. Um, Mara, sorry, you brought this up perfectly when it came to thinking about the Millennium Falcon. We always associate Han Solo with the Millennium Falcon, and for me, I think I always have that association of the advanced with Vader. Right. 
Fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I suppose the only one we haven't touched on there then is the Thai bomber. I think so. You've got the Thai. You've got the normal Thai fighter. You've got the Thai advanced, which was Vader's. You've got the Thai interceptor, which again only appeared in Return of the Jedi. It wasn't in the earlier um, films. Um, so it's obviously a, a, a more advanced version of the tie, um, and then you also have the tie bomber, mm. which which was different from all the rest in that it had two pods rather than one mm. because you had I think there were two crewmen as well, wasn't there in, in one the each, tie? Yeah. yeah, whereas all the rest were a one person ship. Um, and so the second one was obviously a bomber, and, and the second pod was actually the the, the cargo or the, the bomb bay bits mm. that would drop the bombs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, another very cool design. You can imagine kind of Ralph McQuarrie getting the uh, getting the memo from George Lucas to say, "Look, I just want you to design me some really cool spaceships," and he's gone to absolutely to town with the way that these things are designed. You know the. To, to, to the earlier conversation where at one point we always think of a a typical spaceship being like quite cylindrical, either a kind of wing fighter style or, or even a bit like the mm. like the Enterprise there we say in Star, Star Trek. But, you know, Ralph McQuarrie has kind of done these designs and he's gone, I'm going to think completely outside of the box and I'm going to go crazy with my designs. And you can imagine George Lucas looking at this going, brilliant. Yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one thing I do like, which was very cleverly done in the original trilogy movies, is that you've got, the, and it's, it, it ties very nicely into the two protagonists of, of the movie, or the movies. So you've got the Rebels and the, the Rebel Alliance, which is this, the, the idea is like a ragtag bunch of freedom fighters who scavenge whatever they can and, and use whatever they can get their hands on, which is they've, they've stolen the plans and managed to get their hands on the X-Wing. They've managed to salvage the um, Clone War era Y-Wing. They've managed to invest maybe to try and get their hands on the B-Wings and the A-Wings, which are are new fighters coming onto the marketplace. But then the Empire, it's a large industrialised war machine, effectively. And so all of their ships are coming off production lines one after the other and are all based upon tried and tested Mm. looking materials, builds, uh, modular, for want of a better word. So you could could take the cockpit out of one and use it on another. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I do like about the way that the Empire is built and the way that they're war machines are built in that the, there is a commonality across all of their ships. Yeah. It, it kind of harkens back to the well-drilled, massive operation that the Empire has. And, you know, the moment we see it in, even when you think of the opening scene in, 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 in A New Hope where we see this massive Star Destroyer that is menacing. And then, obviously, we then see later on in the movie where we see the Death Star, which is the <laughs> the pinnacle of the Empire's dominance uh, and, and kind of manufacturing capability, as it were. Um, 
and all, you know, I think that really does drill down to what you were saying there, Dave, that they have things done in a certain way. And you know, Palpatine's kind of managing this with a ridiculously harsh way of working that it needs to be done in this particular uniform way to make it look like it's a well-drilled army uh, rather than just something else like the Rebellion is, to your point. Mm, yeah, yeah. They, they bought shed loads of black and grey paint, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute bucket loads of the stuff. Well, yeah, if you think of the Death Star in particular, you know, look at the size of the Death Star. If that's all got grey paint on it, that's a... You know, yeah. they're, they're keeping the paint manufacturing business, absolutely. Yeah. Entire planet's given over to producing grey paint. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, <laughs> so go on. So maybe they don't paint at all. Maybe that's just the colour of the, the steel or whatever. <laughs> yes, it's just base metal. Could well be. Keeps cost down. Yeah. <laughs> they're being... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The dull grey. Mm. So uh, I, I suppose the two that we've not touched on here, the the other two Imperials, um, are the because we, we we focused upon the the smaller craft here, um, but the Imperials also have some slightly larger ones that are not the, the capital ones, and those are their shuttles. Yeah. Uh, which were iconic in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So you, you saw them pop up quite a few times. So at the very beginning of Return of the Jedi, you had um, Darth Vader, his shuttle descending out of the, the bottom of his Star Destroyer and flying to the soon-to-be-built Death Star. And he, he then lands with full pomp and ceremony, and mm. he's greeted by the um, commander looking after the, the the Death Star, who's running behind time. Um, you then, yeah, yeah. You then have um, the Rebel Strike Force who were sent to Endor. They've stolen um, a Lambda class shuttle, and so that again, it appears, it's, it's quite important. It's part of their mission to get there. And then ultimately, when Luke um, rescues his father. Um, and escapes from the Death Star again. He uses a, a Lambda class shuttle. Yeah, they are really cool. The way the wings kind of operate on those, um, mm. it's again, it's the stylistic features of these particular ships, isn't it? Where uh, you kind of look at it and see it's incredibly imposing. Uh, the way the kind of when even when they land and the wings kind of come up to the side. Again, it is, it's quite it's, graceful, though. Yeah, it's like it's like a bird. Dare I say it? Yeah, it is, and it's it's completely odds with the other Imperial vehicles because it is bright white. There's no grey paint on this one. Um, it just looks clean and and but also immaculate and I don't know. It's it, something about it. It's a very iconic looking ship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. One of my favourite moments from Return of the Jedi is when they're in that and they're going to land on Endor um, when they're, they're in the stolen one and Han turns to Chewie and says, I don't know, fly casual. For me, yes. that again, it's the ship and the emotive kind of feeling. Uh, I, I think the ship's really cool. 
But again, it's kind of what happens within the ship, as it were, that kind of makes it stand out even more for me. Yes. Keep your distance, you're right, looking like you're keeping your distance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Ali, what are, you, what are your thoughts on some of those particular ships? I mean, I, I agree with Dave on the, on the shuttle completely. So it, it's hard because of, because we've seen the prequel, particularly when it comes to shuttles, to not talk about Palpatine. So I, I'm kind of keeping my silence rather than going into that area because I, I think, as Dave said, they are sort of the epitome of the leadership of the evil empire when you mm. see Vader come in one or when you see Palpatine in, because it is very similar um, yeah. when you see that and the way that it lands, you know, the alarms that you hear again, I think I think the, the sound again alongside with the, with the vehicle itself you, you just, if, I can't distinguish one from the other, I just hear the big sirens and the whales coming in as it lands, mm. yeah Darth Vader coming down, just because it was such um, it was such a perfect scene of of someone who is powerful talking to a subordinate saying you you know you've got to get this done now, and so I think I think it was a really good tool to show that difference in class between people. Yeah, uh, it, it almost feels like a luxury transport, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, and, and and I think the fact that you know Darth Vader was the only one with his type of Tie Fighter shows again that elitism, that this is the best of the best. And I, I kind of, in a military organisation, I like the idea of, of, of you being at the top, you have something that makes you stand out. And it's quite cool. No, I, yeah, that makes sense, that. Um, and the, I don't, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but it has that, it has like the dipped nose of Concord. Mm. Yeah, yeah, bit, actually, yeah. With, with like the, the yeah, where the cockpit is sloping down. It kind of goes back to that bird thing, isn't it? It's like the beak of a bird, yeah, and the wings. Uh, except it's just a big metal bird. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. But you, like Ali just said, I mean, there's a lot of unlike the Tie Fighters and all of the the Tie um, family of ships, the shuttles have a lot of history from the, the prequel era. Yeah. Yeah, it's Probably quite... a lot more. Yeah, it's quite hard to distinguish, isn't it, because of the similarities from the, the previous bit? Yes. But I, I mean, without straying too deeply into there, yeah. it wasn't just shuttles that followed that, that profile. There was also fighters that had the same type of three wings yeah. that would which would fold up, so... Mm. It, it was a, it was a style of ship that again harks back to the, the prequel era. Yeah, I, I do think as well. It's that they're the most graceful of ships, like you say, because of the bird type flying qualities. It, it has a grace to it, where it, you know it flies in straight lines. It's very linear. Um, um, I really I really quite like that about them as well. No, I agree, agree totally. Mara, you you've been quiet. Yes, well... Sorry, Mara, sorry, Mara. No. <laughs> Good conversation, wonderful, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, no, and I might have to sign off a little bit. Um, I just looked at the clock, so I think I have about five more minutes. 
no, no, that's fine. But to be fair, I, mean, I think we're, we're getting close to the end. The only other one that really is jumping out at me now, I mean, we, we can touch on Krennic Shuttle, which is almost like a black version of the the um, Lambda-class shuttle. Slightly different. It's, it's more angular-shaped, almost almost a, a more aggressive version of that shuttle. But the, the one, the other one that really jumps out for me is the Slave One. Bob ship. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I can't. Yeah. of the list that we've kind of gone through today, Slave 1 for me, again, I think it's because of my affinity towards Boba Fett being one of my favourite characters. Again, that whole way that you associate a character with a ship and whatnot. The Slave 1 for me is, is so unique in its style, unique in its function. Um, and again, the way that we see it uh, in, in Empire Strikes Back first, where it chases down the Millennium Falcon in that asteroid belt, um, I think that's the first time you see it. Yeah, it is. Um, but the way that it kind of flies and, and kind of na- navigates around, it's incredibly nimble, but such a unique shape. Um, and, and I think for me, it kind of just emphasizes the Boba Fett character. When you look at Boba Fett, his, his helmet is, is a unique shape. It's not a Stormtrooper helmet, but it's close. Uh, the color of it, the way it all kind of matches it is, the ship is the personification of the individual, and I think this is perfectly aligned to that kind of theory. Yes, definitely. I think from the history of it, it's, it's what one of ten. It was it was a prototype um, patrol boats, police gunship style vehicle, which is why it just carries so much weaponry for its size. And it's the perfect ship for a bounty hunter. Oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, there's just something so again. It's similar to the B wing in that its cockpit rotates round as well. Yeah, yeah, and obviously the way it lands as well is so unique uh, in that respect. Um, I mean, I remember the scene. For me, that kind of stands out with the shape is when Boba Fett's loading Han Solo and Carbonite with uh, on Bespin on Cloud City, mm-hmm. and I think that for me really emphasised that shape, seeing the kind of shadow of it as it were uh, on the background and it kind of made me go wow that's such a cool ship and then it takes off it looks nothing like it because of the way it, it flies upright absolutely yeah so you go from one extreme to the other uh, again when you see it flying you think how the hell is he going to land it well then obviously he lands it flat side down which makes complete sense once you see it yeah. yes fascinating it's almost, it's, yeah it, it, it looks a bit like an iron though doesn't it there <laughs> you go again. <laughs> I know. I thought. I thought we'd avoid it, Mara, and yet he gets it in at the end. <laughs> I was going to say it looks like an iron or a staple iron. All of a sudden, he just slides, and I'm like, "That's it." Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think you've tainted my view on this ship forever now, Dave. After saying that. <laughs> So tomorrow morning when you're getting ready for work and you're ironing your shirts, you just think, I've got Boba Fett Slave 1 in my hand. Actually, you might have just made it a bit cooler. (laughs) (laughs) I iron my shirts with a Slave 1. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) I I do think, though, that that kind of is the end of our list, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and I think it kind of emphasises the size of the problem of this kind of discussion. It's a good problem. Because there are so many ships that we can go into detail of, which is why we've decided to break it down into these particular segments. 
Um, and hopefully this is something that will kind of continue over the coming weeks. Um, but I think we are coming to the end uh, of our time today, guys. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed uh, the last hour and 47 minutes of our conversation, because uh, that's how long we've been going. I think it might be a record. It will be if we carry on for a couple more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, stay, stay, stay. Get Dave ranted about The Last Jedi and about the Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> All that news. Exactly. And I think this is a really good place to kind of finish it off. And, you know, Nora, you're, you're very, um, you, you have to shoot off very quickly. So I just want to get some final thoughts from you today. Obviously, we've, we've discussed quite a lot. Uh, any closing thoughts from yourself? I just, uh, you, you guys are just amazing. And I love the, the, the talk and the, and covering what we do and being able to talk about, uh, the things that we love, even to intricate detail or, or, or having fun at it. It's just, uh, it's just the love of Star Wars and I, I really appreciate you guys. So it's fascinating to hear you and to listen to these things and, um, just kind of broadens your mind, uh, looking at Star Wars a little deeper, a little bit more in detail. Um, and that's, uh, it's win-win. Good stuff. That's really oh, nice of you. Thank you for that. And obviously, it's a welcome contribution uh, to the podcast as well. Uh, Ali, any closing thoughts from yourself, my man? Yeah, I, I mean, I know that it, Star Wars is by fantasy, but the fact that it is set in space, as, as David said on a previous podcast, is one of the things that really sets it apart. And then to take that further, the starship spaceships of it, are again something that defines it even further because even something like Star Wars where the Federation do have different type of class of ships it's Star not Star Trek yes did I say Star Wars sorry Star Trek yeah. um, it's because Star Wars is better <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave 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 now um, anyway um, it, it, it was so cool that there are so many different variants of ineffectiveness in Star Wars because obviously they can't shoot unlike in Star Trek. Um, <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, I, I think it's one of the real standout features of the of the original series were the ships in space, which is which is why I think it's such a really cool topic to deep dive into today. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Dave, final thoughts from yourself. You can't have a, a, a film called Star Wars without spaceships. No. So it, it is an important part to, to what Star Wars is. And I, I would say that pretty much every kid growing up who loved Star Wars must have had at least one spaceship. It, 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 yeah. As much as, as much as you collected the figures, you collect the ships. Cool. I and I completely agree with that. And I think you guys have kind of summed up everything that I, I think I was actually going to say. Uh, the, the, the ships are fundamental to Star Wars. Um, they provoke conversation, debate, um, and humor. Humor, definitely, and even kind of a physics element where you dropped in the the, the uh, Doppler effect that they didn't expect the conversation to go that way <laughs> at all when we started talking about ships but you're bang on as to what it represents for, for the TIE fighters for sure um, great debate great conversation guys listeners we hope you've enjoyed the show uh, today we do appreciate you sticking with us for this long uh, hopefully you've not turned off <laughs> uh, we are we are the Jedi Council we are here to discuss everything and anything Star Wars related uh, follow us on Twitter we're on Instagram uh, we are on www.the 
underscore or is it hyphen Dave I always get this wrong hyphen brilliant hyphen. The, I should, we've had this website for a while I should know this by now www.the-jedi-council.com on Twitter we are at the Jedi underscore council and on Instagram we are at the underscore Jedi underscore council underscore TJC follow us comment make a, a give us a five star rating on iTunes we only want five stars no <laughs> Be honest with us, guys. We hope you like it. Uh, interact with us on Twitter. And don't forget, may the force be with you. Remember, the force will be with you.